Good morning, everybody. Go ahead and stand up. Will you look for somebody that looks like a father or even a man and hug their neck and wish them a happy Father's Day? If they don't have children, tell them you're glad they're a man. How about that? Okay, dads, let's go ahead and get started, guys. Now, some of you have already let me know how uncomfortable you were in last week's meeting. So tonight, we're going to try to respect each other's boundaries. What? Tonight, we've also got a guest with us, David. And would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah. Um, hey, guys. I'm David. David. Hey, hey, hey. How many kids do you have, David? None. At least not at the moment. Uh, my wife is pregnant, and uh, she should be delivering any day now. That's great. So Super. Cool. Oh, great. Awesome. Who'd like to go first? Anyone. Anyone. I'll go. Perfect. Todd? Yes. My daughter and I went to the mall, and she said she wanted to take the stairs to the second level. And I said, I don't trust stairs because they're always up to something. <laughs> Todd, I'm sorry that happened. Okay. Yeah. I encourage you to try to resist the urge to make jokes like that. 
My turn? Okay. Can I go? Okay. Yesterday, actually, my daughter got home and she asked me how my day was. And I said, well, a guy tried to sell me a coffin, but that's the last thing I need. Oh, Jerry, that joke is dead on arrival. Because it's the last thing I need. David, how about you? Oh, I, I didn't, I didn't say this. This is a safe zone. Just jump on in. Yeah, I, I'm, I guess I'm just scared of being a dad. I'm afraid I'm gonna start telling bad jokes just like my dad. Well, it might be in our nature. We can fight against it. Hey, speaking of nature, I tried to catch some fog yesterday. I missed. <laughs> M-I-S-T. Oh, You're a monster. I, this is where the boundary is. I'm done. This is where you are. Hello? Really? Okay, yeah, no. Uh, yeah, I'll be right there. That was Julie. Her water just broke. I guess the baby finally ran out of womb. <laughs> I'm gonna be a dad. Don't you think it should be going? Oh, yeah. So I told my wife she drew her eyebrows too high. She seemed surprised. know you like them. We, we, know you, we, we know you like them. Happy Father's Day, gentlemen. Grandfather's Day. And uh, what, a, what a cool day. I hope that you enjoy grilling out because that's what you do. Okay. Grab your worship guides. Got other things going on. I want to I highlight we had the most incredible week with Vacation Bible School. It was awesome. And, this, and the staff, the team, uh, Wow, I just, I, we, Julie and I were out of town some of the week. Uh, we were here, I, blown away at how effective you are. You know, um, these kind of things aren't just for the kids, they're for us to serve, and, and boy, did we see that happen this week, and, and Alicia's team, and Casey's team, and, and uh, we actually have two going on at the same time, one for preschool, and then one for elementary age kids, amazing. Clear was with us, if you were here last Sunday, uh, they helped us lead in worship, but wow, um, just, just a phenomenal week. And I want to thank you, all of you who participated. Some of you simply hosted uh, showers for them. Uh, we, uh, as we do our renovation, we used to have a shower room next door. And, and when we're done with our renovation, we will have one. So they were 30 college kids running throughout the community <laughs> getting showers this week. And some of you hosted that. Uh, some of you cooked. Uh, a lot of you cooked. Uh, some of you were helping with children. And every Every piece of that makes it happen, and we want to thank you guys. I mean, it's, it is, uh, it's an amazing thing as a pastor to watch. Uh, you serve God through serving the children, and, uh, and I just want to thank you for that. Hopefully, you got to be here Wednesday night and see all that. Jeff did a phenomenal job putting videos on the Internet so that you could be praying and seeing what's going on. Um, if you think that's crazy, though, <laughs> this week, tomorrow, they're leaving for children's camp. How nuts is that? <laughs> Don't tell the staff that, though. They need to go with energy. But please pray, okay? Please be praying. In fact, in your worship guide, there is a pinkish insert with the names of the children and the staff going, and we, would, we covet your prayers. Um, as we talked about last week, 
as children, so many kids come to know Jesus Christ at this uh, phase of their lives. So please be praying for that uh, by name. You've got sponsors and drivers going. And, and uh, so pray for their energy because most of these adults who are going actually were working VBS last week. So um, be, be in prayer for them. A um, couple other things that I want to mention. Women's Bible study is starting up. And uh, so there's information in the worship guide about that. Um, one more thing, and then we'll, uh, we'll, we'll take our offering and, and move on. Uh, Kitty Bounds is actually this Thursday with some other ladies are making bracelets uh, for the Amazon. We're collecting things for the Amazon trip. And um, what they make these out of is T-shirts. And she asked me to mention to you, she needs T-shirts. So if you will drop them off at the church, we will make sure she gets them. Uh, where is Kitty? Are you in here? Okay. Uh, do you need workers on Thursday? Thursday at 1 o'clock, if you'd like to come. Yeah, cutting strips and then making the, the armbands. If you want to help, if you're free Thursday at 1, come on up and do that. And uh, that'll be a lot of fun. And if you can't, bring some T-shirts up that you have around the house. Um, please wash them first. Um, I do, I do, you know, uh, I, I do want to mention, as you see videos, as you look at these things where people go to camp, there's a lot of you who just can't do that, whether it's work schedules or physical uh, limitations. We get that. There's a lot of stuff. I mean, most of the stuff isn't even at the working with kids level. It's behind the scenes, like Kitty's doing here. It's, it's just helping out. So jump into these things. We try to keep them before you uh, so that you're actively involved in ministry. These really are really, really, really important things. And there are those that God calls to hands-on with kids, and then there are those that, that, that are called to support that. And that's what this kind of thing is. So so jump in. Uh, this week you have an opportunity with this. Uh, it, even if you can't do that, in the worship guide there's a, a, a list of things that we are sending with our Amazon team to the Amazon, and that helps them uh, minister to people in tribal villages and all. And um, so anyway, enough on that. Um, be praying for all of that. I'm going to ask our ushers to come forward at this time uh, so we can prepare for our offering. If you are visiting with us, we ask that you not to give. This is for those who attend here regularly. Uh, the offering supports not just the ministries here on our campus of Carpenter's Way, but the children's ministries as they go to Vacation Bible School, as they go to camp. We also support about 14 missionaries and mission organizations plus uh, the International Mission Board for the Southern Baptist Convention. There's like 5,000 missionaries globally that we participate with. So the money is well used for the kingdom, and uh, that's, that's what we give towards. Again, if you're visiting, that's not for you. This is for those of us who attend regularly. We are so glad that you're here. We're going to put our focus back on the Lord and uh, worship Him, and glad you're here this morning. If you're watching on the Internet, welcome. Our hope and our prayers that you fall in love with Jesus having worshiped with us today. So, Lord, we, we are thankful um, for this last week, the hundreds of kids that came through this place. We thank you for the clear ministry team that had the energy this week and just uh, carried the afternoon program. And we think of those who provided food, who worked with the children, who worked with clear. We think of our morning staff. We're so thankful, Father, for the people that would come up here and, and uh, all week and work with those children and how you blessed us, how you blessed them. And, and uh, Lord Jesus, we pray for our, our children's ministry staff that will be going this week to preteen camp. We pray you'd bless them. We pray for energy. We pray for safety as they go on the road. Thank you that they've been with Clear last week, and now they're going to be with them again, and we pray that those relationships will be reinforced. And, and not only will people be saved, but, but it, encouragement 
Uh, Lord Jesus, for the rest of us that are back home, may we remember them in prayer. May we focus on our own opportunities to serve you. Thank you for summer. Thank you for air conditioning in summer. Thank you that uh, we get to gather together and celebrate our dads and, and uh, Father, the men in our lives. We love you, Lord, and I ask you now to put our eyes back on you, that we will look full in your wonderful face so that the things of the earth will grow strangely dim. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This next one is uh, a song that we haven't done in a really long time. And without knowing it, uh, Mark and Julie chose it, and it happens to be my dad's favorite worship song. So that was kind of cool for Happy Father's Day. It's actually my ringtone for him. Um, but some of you younger ones may have to learn it, uh, but everyone else will probably know it. So stand with us and uh, join in. Shout to the Lord.
y'all may be seated. We're going to turn our attention for the next couple songs to, to heaven and all that it, that it is. And this next song, um, and what we have to look forward to rather, but this next song is something that you probably don't know. So um, I want to invite you to listen. And if you want to, if you catch on and want to join, please join in singing. But um, all we have to look forward to, especially when we see him face to face.
together in your arms of endless grace as your bride forever when we see We're going to continue that worship. Um, listen as I read from the book of Revelation, Apostle John, as he um, had his vision in chapter 4. Um, and listen. Then as I looked, I saw a door standing open in heaven, and the same voice I had heard before spoke to me like a trumpet blast. The voice said, come up here, and I will show you what must happen after this. And instantly, I was in the spirit, and I saw a throne in heaven and someone sitting on it. The one sitting on the throne was as brilliant as gemstones, like jasper and carnelian. And the glow of an emerald circled his throne like a rainbow. Twenty-four thrones surrounded him, and twenty-four elders sat on them. They were all clothed in white and had gold crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and the rumble of thunder. And in front of the throne were seven torches with burning flames. This is the seven-souled spirit of God. In front of the throne was a shiny sea of glass sparkling like crystal. In the center and around the throne were four living beings, each covered with eyes front and back. The first of these living beings was like a lion, the second was like an ox, the third had a human face, and the fourth was like an eagle in flight. Each of these living beings had six wings, and their wings were covered all over with eyes, inside and out, day after day, and night after night they kept on saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, the one who always was, who is, and is still to come. And whenever the living beings give glory and honor and thanks to the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down and worship the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things and they exist because you created what you pleased.
You are my everything 
That's pretty good. Let's thank the Lord for that worship. <clears throat> I tell you quite regularly that context matters. And it's not that, it's not that you can't understand what the Scripture is saying without the context. It's just that it puts you in the danger zone. If you don't understand the context uh, of, 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 of a piece of Scripture, 
you might actually think that God promises blessings to America because of 2 Chronicles 7.14. I think principally, God will bless this nation as we bow the knee to Him, but that is not a promise for us. That's a promise to a particular nation at a particular point in time. Um, Each of these books that we study, especially the Gospels, but they are written with specific purposes in mind, first by its author, God, and then by its author, Luke, for instance. There's a reason why, oftentimes, and most of the books are not in chronological order, but there's a reason why they take stories and they stack them together. One of the things that we're doing right now in our study of who is this man is we're trying to discipline ourselves to go back and say, who is Jesus based upon what Scripture teaches about Jesus in the way that he is presented to us or presents himself to us? And that takes discipline. It takes, it, takes, uh, it takes extreme discipline and accountability because all of us have certain things that we project on Jesus. Gosh, most of us have things we project on our spouses or on our children, expectations for them. Well, we have expectations for God. And that's not new. One of the things that I hope that we learn through our time in the Word together is that people have not changed in the 8,000 years or however many thousand years we've been here. People haven't changed. Technology has changed. Uh, What sins we allow has changed, but people haven't changed. With all that said, I want you to understand that this morning's text, which we're going to get to about halfway through the message is really important within its context. And you've actually been building up to it over the recent weeks. So I want to begin in Luke chapter 5, and I want to start with a story, two stories that uh, Chad brought to you while Julie and I were away doing a wedding and on vacation. Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 17. One day while Jesus was teaching, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law were sitting nearby. It seemed that these men showed up from every village in all of Galilee and Judea, as well as from Jerusalem. And the Lord's healing power was strongly with Jesus. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat. They tried to take him inside to Jesus, but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. So they went up on the roof and they took some tiles, off some tiles. Then they lowered the sick man on his mat down in the crowd right in front of Jesus. So he's he's teaching and this guy comes through the ceiling. And again, Chad taught you about that. We won't spend much time on that. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, young man, your sins are forgiven. Now, we could stop here, and in its own right, that's an amazing story, and Chad did a phenomenal job teaching on it. But it's the next part that connects the next two stories. But the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law said to themselves, who does he think he is? That's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. When Luke puts his story here, he's actually not just wanting us uh, to look at the story of this man being healed. He wants us to keep reading. I want to remind you that the scriptures were actually not written with chapters and verse breaks. That was added so that we can study it together in groups in the United States so that, and across the globe. It was added in the last couple hundred years. And so we can go to that and we can point to those. But please understand that these books were written to be read. They were written to be read within their context. So you got the big idea. We like to study the minutiae, but it's also the overriding principles that are there. When Luke puts this story here, he's not really just wanting us to look at this story alone and make conclusions. He's actually beginning to show us something that had begun to take place right around a year into Jesus' ministry, and that's what we're doing is we're looking at the context as well, uh, the context of his life, trying to put in as much as we're able into a timeline of Jesus' three-and-a-half-year ministry. Please take note. 
Jesus is completely in control here. And he is causing this thing that Luke wants us to see to happen. He does this so it will take place. Verse 21, who does he think he is? That's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus, fully aware of the result of his words when he heals this guy, fully aware that it would freak the religious teachers and the Jews out, he causes them to ask a bold question. Who does he think he is? God? His answer, verse 22. Jesus knew what they were thinking, so he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier for me to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sin. Uh, I want to apologize to my Jehovah's Witness friends right off the top. You're way wrong about Jesus. To my Muslim friends, I'm sorry, you're wrong. In this text, within the context, Jesus Christ does this miracle and says what he says to them to say, I'm God. That's exactly what he's saying. He is saying, I'm God. I can point to you to four or five places in the Gospels where Jesus says, I am God. And then I can point to about 15 more where Jesus says, indirectly, I'm God. But understanding their hearts, who are you? You think you're God? And Jesus' response is, I will now prove to you that the Son of Man has authority on the earth to forgive sins. In other words, exactly. Good guess. You're right. That's exactly who I am. Jesus is declaring his right, his authority to forgive sin. And he doubles down on this with what happens next. Then Jesus turns to the paralyzed man and says, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And immediately, as everyone watched, the man jumps up, he picks up his mat, and he went home praising God. Please notice, he doesn't go home praising just a, a religious leader. He goes home praising God. So even he understands that this is a miracle from God. Jesus is God. Everyone was gripped with wonder and awe. That's the crowd that was listening to Jesus preach. And they praised God, exclaiming, we have seen amazing things today. Again, my apologies to you who do not believe that Jesus is God, but he is proclaiming himself God in this story. That's exactly why he set this up. Just understand that Jesus is not ambiguous as to his identity. The problem is that we keep wanting more just like they did. In general, we're trying to figure Jesus out. There's nothing to figure out. He is God in the flesh. And to be clear again, this event was not really about Jesus healing this dude. It was set up by God so that Jesus could say who he was and prove it by his actions. My apologies to those of you who believe in health and wealth doctrine of some versions of Christian cults. My apologies to say, Jesus did not come here to heal all the sick. Healing the sick was the way in which he proved his, that he was prophetically God's sent one. The word Messiah means sent one from God. And Jesus Christ, it was prophesied hundreds of years before in the book of Isaiah, what, how you could identify him. He would be born of a virgin. And then what he would teach. Jesus taught exactly what it was said. He had also said that he would do certain miracles. The lame would walk, the blind would see, the deaf would hear. The fact is that Jesus' miracles were not because he felt sorry for people, but to validate that his Father had sent him. He was, in fact, sent from the Father and was God. My apologies to you if you don't want to believe that. You don't have to. But the Scriptures say he was, he said he was, and he proved it by his behavior. If you think Jesus was just a prophet or just a good man, 
you will in fact go into eternity not having been forgiven. It's not an option. Jesus was God. He could not have been a good teacher or a good prophet and lie about his identity. And that's what starts this three miracle series that Chad took you through. We jump off of that story and we jump to the very next story that Chad taught you, Luke chapter 5, verse 27. Later is Jesus left town, so he's connecting these. So Jesus is leaving town, and as he's walking out of town, he saw a tax collector named Levi. You know that's Matthew. He's sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Later, Levi held a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor. Many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law, that's the connection between these two stories. They're following him around, trying to figure out who he is, seeing what he does. The Pharisees and the teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. Who do you, uh, why do you eat and drink with such scum? Actually, the other gospels, and uh, I would say that I think the Greek more in, uh, inclined to say that they asked the disciples, why does your rabbi spend time with the scum of the earth? We love this story. I talked about it last week. We love this story because we realize how sinful we are, and we love the fact that Jesus spends time with sinners. But I, I want to be clear that not only did Jesus not heal the way the Pharisees and religious leaders expected the Messiah to heal and act. For instance, instead of saying, take up your bed and walk first, or I heal you, or may your legs become strong, all the things he could have said, he said, your sin is forgiven. And now in this story, he's disappointing the expectations of the religious leaders by spending time with the scum of the earth, the wrong crowd. You see, the Pharisees act like and I think it's fair to say believed that the Messiah needed to apply for the job and they would decide whether he was worthy before he took the job. They didn't go to the Messiah to learn of God. They went to the Messiah to be validated. Take a breath and think about that. Boy, we got that going on today. The religious leaders, the Pharisees, and the teachers went to Jesus to have their preconceived ideas validated. And when Jesus didn't validate their ideas by not healing by saying you're healed, but instead your sins are forgiven, that sent them flipping out. As we get farther into this, you're going to realize that the Pharisees and the religious leaders didn't want God to send God. They wanted God to send Moses. They wanted somebody as good as Moses just to lead them out of the wilderness of tyranny to Rome. That's not why Jesus came. That's not why Jesus came. And it was a problem for them. Not just how he healed, but also who he ministered to. Verse 30, but the Pharisees and their teachers of religious law complained bitterly to his disciples. They're upset. Why does he spend time with scum? Jesus answered them in verse 31. Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come not to those who think they're righteous, ouch, but those who know they're sinners and need to repent, ouch too. Because again, in our culture and time today, there is a misconstrued idea, a preconceived idea that Jesus loved sinners, therefore he just let them be what they were. That is not what this says. I have come 
A, not to those on the right who are self-righteous, but I, and, and by default, I didn't even come to those who are on the left who don't think they're sinners. I came to those who know they're sinners and need to repent. Again, I know you went through this with Chad, so I won't spend a lot of time on it, except to say Jesus is setting up a clarifying moment. And I, his, his statement is, I am not here to meet your expectations. I am to f- here to fulfill the messianic call of my Father, not you. I have come to fulfill my God the Father's goal of sending me to seek and save the lost, no matter how lost or how offensive the lost may be. Not only does Jesus have the authority to save people from their sin, but he means to do it. Jesus not only has the authority to forgive sin, he's doing it. And he's doing it to people like the woman at the well, the Samaritan, or like Matthew's tax-gathering friends. No matter how offensive the lost people were, Jesus came to be with them and to offer them salvation. Not to leave them in their sinful state, but to call them to change. The third story in this series is this morning's text, actually. And no, I'm not halfway through, sorry. I exaggerated. I lied. I am forgiven. The third story in the series that Luke puts together in Luke chapter 5 for us is found in, it starts at verse 33. One day, some people said to Jesus, and I, I want to take a break here just for a second, because I want you to understand that this, this story is recorded in three of the four Gospels. That's how significant it is. If we just read through this, this would be the least of the three stories. And yet, when you understand what's being taught, this is the summation. This is the most important. This is the, uh, this is the anchor of all three stories, if you want the context. And so all three of the four Gospels say it, and the other two Gospels actually tell us who was in the group. It wasn't just the Pharisees and religious teachers. It was actually the disciples of John. You remember them. They were followers of John the baptizer. And when Jesus starts baptizing more people than them, they get jealous. And John rebukes him and says, uh, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. You know, I'm just going to trust him. This is, it's God's flock. We should decrease so that he can increase. I want you to be aware that John's disciples never really followed Jesus on a whole. In fact, the book of Galatians is written to the descendants of John's disciples. They are called Judaizers, and what they do is they don't reject Jesus Christ's offer of salvation. They just try to marry it with Judaism, putting new wine in old wineskins, and it doesn't work. They tell, for instance, and if you've read Galatians and you get out of the King James Version, you find out it's a very graphic book. Because Paul actually says what they are trying, these Judaizers, these disciples of John the baptizer who are going to be in this third story, they not only uh, want these, uh, the Christians to follow Jewish law, but even as adult, the Gentiles, they want them to be circumcised. And you'll remember in the middle of the, of the book of Galatians, uh, Paul actually says, I wish they'd take, them, take those knives and, and mutilate their own bodies. Yes. He is suggesting that they cut themselves off. He's angry. These are those people. They never turn to God because they don't want God. People don't turn to God because they don't want Him. Right or left. Self-righteous legalists like the Church of Wells don't want God's redemption. They want 
wipe clean once, and I'll work it out the rest of my life. And if you think they're wacko in their cult, I got news for you. There are some Baptists and Assemblies of God churches that teach almost identically to what they teach. Only they're politically correct because we have a baptismal and we have a cross and we've been gathering for a long time. There are lots of us who come from very legalistic backgrounds that sound exactly like modern day followers of John the Baptizer. Because Jesus fits our preconceived idea. He fits our agenda. The left is now waking up to a Jesus who just loves them and their sin and as they're made, and therefore everybody should just not only be okay with their sin, but we should affirm their sin because Jesus would. A statement was made in the news this week that Jesus would be pro-gay. Just so you know, Jesus isn't pro-any sin. Sorry, that's why he came, to seek and save that which is lost. Gay, straight, self-righteous, overeating at a Baptist dinner, um, it's all offensive. And he came to redeem us from that. Uh, I could use an amen right now. Thank you. I want to be clear. You guys, you need to be clear. Because what Satan is now doing is he's sneaking into the church and getting us to water down truth. Jesus Christ came to save you, my gay brother or sister, my friend. Jesus Christ came to save you, my overweight, self-indulging friend, my alcoholic friend. Whatever, whatever your sin. Well, it's not really sin because I was born this way. That's called sin nature. Everybody's born this way. That's the problem. Jesus came to redeem Sinners who know they're sinners. That's why we repent. And we got to be careful because my Baptist brothers and sisters, we have been enabling self-righteous evil within the church for a long time. We have. We all laugh when we talk about prayer gatherings that turn into gossip sessions. You need to pray for Mark. That poor guy, he's gained so much weight. You know what I heard about Pastor Mark? And you go on and on, and it ends with bless his heart, let's pray for him. And we feel better about it because we blessed his heart and we gossiped. And we've all, we've all been it. Some of you are nodding, and we've all been there, right? Okay, and, and if we were really honest, most of us have done it. I mean, we're guilty of that. Jesus came to save you from that, and it's not okay. Even if you bless their heart and pray at the end, same-sex attraction. You may struggle with it, but it's not okay to do it. You can't invest in it and claim to be walking with God. Having sex with somebody you're not married to, same problem. May feel good, may want to do it. It's not okay. How can you say that? Because the Scripture says it. Being married to somebody that's not a believer, not okay. Indulging in whatever, indulging in gossip. You, you fill in the gaps, right? It's not one sin. It's all sin and it all offends God. And by the way, I want to remind you that the reason... We do not become a sinner because we sin. We sin because we're a sinner. It, it's the manifestation. What you long for in your flesh, a dog returning to his vomit, as Jesus said, what we long for in our flesh does not make us sinful. We long for it because we are sinful and because we live in the moment. We want pleasure now. That's, that's what we do. Jesus came to say, I'll give you pleasure later. That's what we sang about this morning. I will give you eternal pleasure. I will give you hope and joy and peace. Lay up for yourself treasure, treasure that it, there. It's not YOLO. You don't only live once. As a child of God, you get to live twice. However, if you're not a child of God and you don't want God, you only live once. My advice to you is party up. Do whatever you want. In fact, feel as good as you can because this is the closest thing to heaven you will ever experience.
Child of God, your life is going to be tough. This is the closest thing to hell you'll ever experience. This really is. And it is a battle. That's why Paul says it. Paul said, I buffet my body, and that doesn't mean eat well. I buffet my body, and I make it my slave. Do you know why he said that? Because walking with God is hard, and your flesh is like a magnet. It's drawn. Even as a child of God, you're drawn to sin. You're drawn to gossip. You're drawn to overeating. You're drawn to your attractions. We all are. Nobody be struggling with sin. That's why Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, you've got to pick up your cross and follow me. You see, the solution to all of that for the Jews, though, was Judaism. And they had a problem with Jesus because he didn't point them to Judaism when they were sinners. He said, I forgive you. And, and, and when, he, when he hung out with people, he didn't wear the clerical garbs that he was supposed to wear. And he didn't walk in and go, I don't like any of you, but I am here to tell you that if you go to the temple today, you will do He didn't do that. He ate with them. In fact, he let Matthew throw a party in his honor with all of his sinful friends. The scum of the earth, they're called. And so they're on. Party's over. Jesus has gone on. And one day some people said to Jesus, John the Baptist's disciples fast and pray regularly. There they are over there. There's seven of them. See how famished they look? And so do the disciples of the Pharisees. Look at our disciples. Notice the Pharisees don't fast, but their disciples do. Classic pastor move. You should stop eating so much. Why are your disciples always eating or drinking? Ah, now they've exposed themselves. The culmination of three stories that Luke lays out for us. You see, the Pharisees are concerned that Jesus forgives sins outside of their ceremonies and sacrifices. They're concerned that he hangs out with the wrong crowd. And now, they and John's followers are concerned that he isn't religious enough for their liking. Jesus responded to verse 34, do wedding feasts or guests fast while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. But someday the groom will be taken away from them, and then they'll fast. In other words, Jesus says to them, there's a time to feast, and there's a time to fast. Now's the time to feast. I know this personally, because Julie and I have decided that now that we are in our 50s, we need to eat better. We're going to wait till Father's Day's over. <laughs> because there is a season, Jesus said, to feast and to fast. And tomorrow at midnight, we will start the fast. Please don't keep us accountable for that goal. But that is what Jesus says. And I, I want to make it clear, he's not saying fasting is stupid. It's not what he says. He doesn't say the Jewish religion is stupid. He actually goes to synagogue. We have stories of him celebrating Hanukkah in its old name. Jesus doesn't, no matter what you've been told by me or anybody else in the past, as I study this, I am more aware that Jesus never came to overthrow Judaism. He came to do what it could not and to save sinners. God is not opposed to you being religious. He's just opposed to you thinking religion will save you. It can't save you. To be clear, when you put all three of these stories together and you contextualize them, you end up with the simple fact that Jesus did not come to maintain Judaism power. He came to seek and save the lost. He did not come to make sure people went to synagogue or temple to offer sacrifices for their sin. He actually came to forgive their sin. He did not come to save the morally superior or the self-righteous. He came to save sinners from their sin in the midst of their immoral, sinful behavior. John 3, 16 and 17 says this, and I know I throw these verses before you all the time because I want you to see them in their context. 
For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. We look at the picture of Jesus, we think that's what Jesus looked like, only because the painter said it was. But we look at that, and we go, he loves me. Just to be clear, that's not what this verse says. It says his father loves you. Again, growing up in the church, and I think most of you are probably like me, we look at the father as the judge, the distant one, the far away one. Then we look at Jesus, the lover of our soul, and the Holy Spirit is the force in Star Wars. That's how we see him because we don't know any better than that. But I want to make it clear. For God the Father so loved you, he sent his son. How about that for a Father's Day gift? He sent his son. I'd rather kill my son, my only begotten son, than you. So for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, so that whoever believes, remember there has to be a response. I was wrong. There is a work in salvation, and it's believing. It's putting your faith in him. It's repentance. I was wrong. Don't ever let somebody tell you you have no work in salvation again. You've got to bow the knee. So that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Verse 17, for God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world. Hey, you're right, my, my friend. He didn't come to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Why? Because the world was already condemned. That's what the next verses say. In Luke 19.10, Luke is very clear as to why Jesus was here. And it was not to bring a revival to Judaism or Baptist. Jesus didn't come to make us more religious. He came to seek and save the lost. Yeah, yeah, but part of that is, no, it's not. It's saving people. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. That's why he came. And, and, and again, I keep repeating this because we're learning that in the contextual look at Jesus' life. But it's got to sink in. It's got to sink in. Jesus Christ is not worried about the United States falling. Sorry. He's not worried about the moral condition of San Francisco or East Texas. That is not his worry. His concern is to save the immoral person in San Francisco or East Texas. That's his concern. He is more concerned with you being his child than he is with this country maintaining 200 years worth of history or tradition. He's not concerned about that. He's not even concerned that the Baptist church continues to reduce its number of baptisms. Jesus is not concerned about that. He's concerned that we tell people that God loves them and offers them forgiveness for their sin. That's all he cares about. That's all he cares about. We're about a lot of other stuff. He's not. And that was a problem. Jesus didn't come to supercharge a religion or reinforce religious ceremony or morality. He came to seek and save the lost. He came to find them, to get their attention, and to personally offer them forgiveness from their sin if they want it. So he went where sinners were to go give, to give it to them. Religious ceremony and activity was way less important, not unimportant, but way less important to Jesus than doing what he came here to do. He did not say fasting was ridiculous or unnecessary, but he said it had a time and a place and this was not it. So his boys didn't fast at this time. And rather than telling the guy he was healed, he told him his sin was forgiven. And rather than fasting at this time, his disciples feasted. Why? Because Jesus came to save people, not to prop up religious activity. For my friends who are social justice warriors, and we have plenty at Carpenter's Way, I want to remind you that Jesus Christ did not come to over, overthrow poverty or injustice or prejudice. He came to save people from their sins. How can I say that? Well, because when the prostitute came to wash his feet with overly expensive perfume and Judas Iscariot said, he's wasting that money, Jesus said, the poor you'll always have with you, but she's worshiping me. Well, well, that's not fair. Jesus is just, and he will make justice reign one day. Not today. Not today. Why not? Because that's not the important thing to him right now. The most important thing to him is not that you go to hell being honored in your sin, but you don't go to hell. The most important thing to God is not that you feel good about yourself. You might, in fact, have a large dose. You might. 
You might, in fact, have a big belly. You might, in fact, overeat. God did not come to make you feel better about your overeating large nose, big belly. He came to tell you, I love you anyway, and I will redeem you if you want to be redeemed. How cool is that? The world, and even the church now, wants to start to convincing you that you are beautiful and that's all that matters. No, you're not. You're not beautiful. I'm sorry. Whoever told you you were beautiful was also the person that told you you could be anything you wanted in life. You will not be president, probably. You're too honest. <laughs> See, you're too honest. You can't be president. That was, a, that, was a, that was a joke. I'll come back to that next year in the political year. The, the truth is, ladies, you will probably never play for the NFL. That's just the reality. The, the truth is that there are truths in this life that we like to tell each other aren't true. And one of the truths is you cannot get to heaven because you're pretty. You will get to heaven because God forgave your sin. You realized you were a sinner. And, and that's what Jesus is doing here. It's not by being Jewish. It's not by being circumcised. In fact, Galatians is all about that. It's not the circumcision of the body. It's the, it's the circumcision of the heart. In fact, in Jude, under the Old Testament, the prophet the prophet told the people, God told me to tell you that you should rip your hearts and not your garments anymore. Stop repenting and truly be changed. I mean, this is a big deal because it's exactly where we all are. Jesus came to save people, not prop up religion. Jesus and Luke are not done with this lesson, verse 36. Then Jesus went on and gave him this illustration. No one uh, tears a piece of, piece of cloth uh, from a new garment and uses it to patch an old garment. For then the new garment will be ruined and the new patch wouldn't even match the old garment. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins for the new wine would burst the wineskins, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. New wine must be stored in new wineskins. Wow. Now Jesus just told the Pharisees and the disciples of John that he was doing a new thing and it wouldn't fit into their old formula. This is where we get perplexed. This is where we start saying Jesus Christ came to throw out Judaism. He did not. He did not come out to throw out Judaism or religion. He came to do what it could not do. And you cannot take the new wine of his blood, of sacrifice, of salvation, and put it in old wineskins. And I'm going to tell you why. This is why we have the scriptures. Romans chapter 3 explains it very beautifully. The law applies to those to whom it was given. For its cur uh, Before we get to its purpose, leave it up there, Louise. Who was the law given to? The Jews. Thank you. Just so you know, the laws were not given to the Gentiles. It's part of a covenant God made with the nation of Israel at the base of Mount Sinai. So next time somebody throws the Ten Commandments at you, just remind them that you're not Jewish. It's okay. The law applies to those to whom it was given. For its purpose, here you go. Well, what's the purpose of the law, Pastor? It's very clear. It's to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. I thought the Ten Commandments are how we live a better life. No, the Ten Commandments are how you find out you're not living a good enough life. Let it soak in. This is super important. This is Jesus. This is Paul teaching Jesus' truth as given to him by Jesus. This is the truth. And we've got it confused because we're a lot like the Pharisees, we right-wing conservative Christians today. We keep thinking that the problem with people today is they don't live up to the Ten Commandments. Well, I got news for you. Nobody ever has, and that's the purpose. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. Verse 21. But now God, whoo, don't you love those two words, but now God, three, that's three. But now God. Whenever the New Testament says, but now God, you can be sure the news is about to get really, really good. Everybody ready? 
But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him. Would somebody read that for me, please? Without what? What? I can be right with God by not keeping the Ten Commandments? Keep reading, Pastor, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. Whoa, wait a minute. This isn't new? This isn't new, new. This is old, new. You see, God promised through the prophets that one day he would take care of their sin problem, which was made clear through their disobedience problem of the Ten Commandments. Are you sticking with me so far? This is why Jesus doesn't have a Jewish problem. He just knows what he can't do. The reason God invented Judaism was not only so that he would be born and bless the nations of the world through the Jews, but also so that he could show that even a small group of people couldn't follow 10 simple rules. Every one of you that teach kindergarten, every one of you with a five-year-old kid, you teach your kids most of the Ten Commandments. Don't steal. Don't covet what somebody else has. Don't lie, cheat. You know, worship God. It's simple. We teach this, in most of them, in the public school system. And we know that right after you tell your kid an hour before dinner not to eat the chocolate chip cookies you made, that when you turn your back, the first thing they're going to do is eat the chocolate chip cookie. That's what happened in the Garden of Eden, right? They couldn't, have I lost you guys yet? They couldn't keep one law, so God creates a nation who can't keep ten laws. Why? So that he could set this up. So that we could go, how can I be saved? I can't even keep one law. Good for you. I'm glad you asked. Now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. In other words, I taught this before. The Jewish leaders and the followers of John the baptizer were not paying attention to the whole of the scriptures. They took what they wanted and ignored the rest. Jesus forgiving sin was offensive to them because it disempowered them. Jesus hanging with sinners offended them because it disempowered them. They didn't do that. And Jesus' disciples not fasting offended them because it reduced the value of their services that they offered. Thank you very much. They thought it was all through their religion and behavior that people were made right with God. Verse 21, but now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. As was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. Jews, Gentiles, tax collectors, drunkards, prostitutes, demon-possessed people, people with same-sex attraction, people with opposite-sex attraction, unclean people, paralytics, doctors, lawyers, even pastors can be saved. People who are religious, people who are atheists. He came to save you. He came to save them. He came to save us. Because religion didn't do it. Even the right religion didn't do it. The problem is that people like their religion. Verse 23 of Romans says, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. That is explaining why the law doesn't work. You see, the problem with the law is even if you could keep it, once you learn it, you have already broken it. Therefore, you are a lawbreaker by definition. If you take an omelet, and it is the most beautiful, high cholesterol, bad for you omelet you have ever seen. It is covered in ham and cheese and a whole pig worth of bacon. If it, finally, I get an amen. If there is a rotten egg at its core, you will vomit all afternoon. Because it doesn't matter what it looks like, it matters what it is. And we are born under the wrath of God, Ephesians 2 says. And only God redeems that. Religion cannot. Even if you are 
the most moral person that ever lived, even if you are the most religious person and read the Bible every week of your life for your whole life, you are still in trouble if God has not removed the sin you have already committed. You are just a better version of a sinner. And that's what the Jewish people thought they were, and I think some of us evangelical Protestants today. Yet God in His grace freely makes us right in His sight. Verse 24 said, He did this through Christ Jesus when He freed us from the penalties of our sin. How? For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed His life, shedding His blood. Wow. That's why the Ten Commandments in Judaism are not enough. They're not enough. And that was a problem for the religious Jew because they thought that their Judaism made them right with God. And in reality, salvation is through Jesus Christ alone. I'm going to teach you something I taught you years ago. If you want to know if somebody's a cult or not, it's not what they say about Jesus because most cults say Jesus loves you. The question is, do you believe in salvation through faith in Christ? What's the word? Alone. Not baptism, not church attendance, not membership, not good behavior or teaching Sunday school or going to church every week. None of those things save you. They just make you a good person. And there's nothing wrong with being a good person. It just won't get you into a right relationship with God. It had nothing to do with Judaism except that God's Messiah came through the Jewish lineage and God used the Jews and their religion to show that you could not be religious enough to meet God's standard of goodness to save yourself. Jesus was proclaiming through his words and his actions that the only way of being right with God is through God's mercy and grace as offered through Jesus. You cannot put Jesus' free mercy, free grace he offers back into the old form of Judaism. The law in reality only shows that you need something else. That's all. So Jesus ends this with the most stark statement of all. And I promise if we were just reading it, we would just read by this sentence. But it is what probably should give us a nod in our stomach. Verse Luke 5, verse 39. He's finished with these three stories, these three events, right? Did you read it? Let me read it for you. And I want you to think about what Jesus is saying. Remember, this is a real guy, real conversation. They've been following him around and rebuking him at every turn. Why'd you tell that guy his sins are forgiven? What right do you have? You think you're God? Moves to the next city. He goes and hangs out with sinners. Why does your master spend time with the scum of the earth? And now he's not fasting, not doing the things they want. Jesus says, look, there's a time for that and a time not for it, but I didn't come to do all that. And I'm going to save people. I came to seek and save that which is lost. But he ends with this. You don't put old, new wine in old wineskins. But no one who drinks the old wine seems to want the new wine. The old is just fine, they say. Does that put it on your stomach? It should. I want you to think about your Christian upbringing. Some of us were taught that you shouldn't date people of a different color. That's heresy and not biblical. Well, that may be, but socially speaking, it's not wise. Or how about being told that drinking is a sin? I'm not saying drinking is smart, but it's not a sin. But you were told that. And verses were taken out of context to validate it. And they work really, really hard at even proving that Jesus turning water into wine was Jesus juice, they called it. Some, you know, I mean, it's ridiculous. It was alcoholic wine, we know from the context of the story. I want to say, as we look at these Pharisees, we go, oh, those fools, how could they ever do this? I want to let you to know that nothing's changed. 
Religious leaders are still trying to mold you into what they think is acceptable, so they're changing Scripture to make it. I'm here to tell you that God is not a flag-waving American, even if I am. He is not a conservative. Robert Grimes and I were talking this week in my office, and we were, we were just sharing, and he said something that was very powerful, and I, I want to quote him. The Jesus of the Scriptures, within its context, the Jesus of the Scriptures, he's too liberal for the conservative. There's about 25% of you that went, preach it, man. Preach it. Christians are haters. Well, the other side of the coin is, Jesus is too conservative for you liberals because he demands repentance. Both of those are true. If we go to Jesus and expect him to fulfill our wishes and dreams, we're just like these people. Whether it's a liberal dream or a conservative dream, I want to remind you of a story from Joshua chapter 5. When Joshua was near the town of Jericho, so Joshua is now the leader of the nation of Israel. They've gotten into the promised land, and they're about to attack a village they have no right to attack. They're gonna, they are sure they're going to get destroyed. So Joshua, you get the idea, is walking around at night, looking at the walls, going, what are we doing? Joshua was near the town of Jericho. He looked up, and he saw a man standing in front of him with a sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and demanded, are you a friend or foe? So you've got this, this guy with a sword standing off on Joshua, and Joshua's a warrior, so you get an idea, he pulls his sword. Are you with us or against us? Are you friend or foe? And this person responds to him by saying, neither one, he replied, I am the commander of the Lord's army. At this, Joshua fell on his face to the ground in reverence. I am at your command, Joshua said. What do you want your servant to do? And the commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did as he was told. That guy, that angel told Joshua that he's not on the side of Israel. What? If God isn't on the side of Israel, he's not on your side either. If he's not on the side of Israel or their enemies, the question for Joshua is, are you on our side? The question of this whole text here that we're reading right now, that Luke lays before us of these stories, is not whether or not we like everything about Jesus. The question is, are we about our lives finding out what he's about and bowing the knee to him? And I'm, I'm super concerned about this in the church today because we keep going proving our own prejudices, and I mean that with a small p. We go and validate our prejudices by going to the scripture and taking a verse out of context to prove our point of view. Like, tattoos are a sin because the Jews were told not to mark their bodies. If you believe that's for us today, and I'm not a fan of tattoos... I'm too big a wimp to have one. But if you think God is forbidding tattoos, then you better be burying your poop outside a camp because that's a law just a few pages later. You can't pick and choose. And we do all the time. You know, and I've told you, I know, I know you don't believe it, but I'm politically conservative. And I think we should build a wall. But i got to tell you something. we got to care about the people on the other side of the wall, too, because Jesus cares about them. So what do you want me to do, Pastor? I don't know. Get in your car and drive down there and offer them lunch. I don't know. But we can't just be making political conservative statements without a concern for them. you got a brother who's not saved. Well, he won't spend time with me. The only thing he does is go to the bars. Now you know what to do Friday night. Pastor, you tell me to go to a bar, I'm telling you to go to a bar. You know, you don't have to drink in a bar. Order coffee or a Coke. Be the designated driver. They might give you a hot dog. Seriously, do you realize what Satan has done in most of our upbringing? We were told, I was told, okay, I shouldn't 
project this on you, but I was told as a child that the calling of God is to come out from among them. Come out from among them so we don't go with them. So all of a sudden, Christians started making workout centers and transmission specialists, and the whole thing is they would put a fish on so I knew who I should go to give my money when I needed work. That's not what we're called to do. I'm supposed to go to the dive and spend time with the divers. Well, I, I sure like to witness to my brother, but my brother doesn't do anything but drink. Try near beer. Go be with your brother. I hate alcohol. They serve other stuff. Order water. Have you ever had water in a bar? No. I would never be caught dead in a bar. I'm just kidding. Lighten up. We're, this, this is life. I'm spitting a lot today. This is life. It's not that complicated. What are we supposed to do? Seek and save that which is lost. Go get them. Well, it seemed like rainbows are everywhere and they're taking over and I'm just sick of it. Go march with them. I, I don't stand for that. They don't stand for it, but they need Jesus. Are you seriously? I get bothered by stuff too, but you realize that for a moralistic political agenda, I'm allowing people to go to hell without any personal concern because I'm so mad they're acting like that. I'm safe. They're not. And to be honest, if this is the closest thing to heaven they ever experience, why shouldn't they indulge in their flesh? Ew, I, I'm not talking about, I, I'm just, you know what I'm saying. Our job is to tell them that there's hope beyond their flesh. Watch any TV show, alcoholism is never portrayed as a good thing. They need Jesus. And Jesus would be eating with sinners. Most of us are just looking for a church that tells us what we want to hear and we're comfortable with and we like the music in. I'm, I'm not mad at you. I'm with you. I'm part of the problem, okay? Instead of getting mad, maybe I should get involved with people. I, I, I'm, I was being facetious about marching. That, that's not what I mean. We don't advocate sin, okay? But we do love sinners. And I want to say that even if you don't love sinners, your Father who loves you loves them for you, so love them anyway. Just go serve them. You, you don't even have to like them. They can be annoying. They can be smell like alcohol. But And, and you've got to be wise, okay? Can I, I want to add that. Just because somebody's homeless does not mean you should hand them $20. That's really, really dumb. You're feeding their addiction. You can bring them home for dinner or take them to Jack in the Box or whatever's safe. You've got to be smart. That's what Jesus did. Too conservative for liberals and too liberal for conservatives. So Jesus stands before you with a flaming sword and said, I'm not your foe or your enemy. I have redeemed you. You're my child. Join the family business. You see, the problem with the contextualized Jesus is he's not a Baptist. Or for many of you that grew up Assemblies of God, he's not Assemblies of God or Lutheran. He's not... Catholic, he's not liturgical, he's not even an evangelical. He's God. He's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And our job isn't really to get them into Carpenter's Way. Our job is to introduce them to our Father. And then once they're saved, you can bring them in. And we'll grow you up from there. That's all we're doing, by the way. Did anything I say this morning really surprise you? Of course not. Because y'all know it to be true. 
But by 4 o'clock this afternoon, we'll all be back in our political aisle texting people or tweeting ridiculous things, and I encourage you to stop tweeting and start caring. Pray for people. Reach out to people. Love people. Be like Jesus. Because that's how Jesus was. Let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, I pray that we would be like Joshua. When he came face to face the reality of the angel of the Lord, he immediately bowed the knee. He didn't say, why aren't you on my side? I'm a Jew. He simply bowed the knee and said, what do you want me to do? So, Father, for my family here, those watching on the Internet, I pray that you would help us to bow the knee and ask you what you want us to do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you don't know my daddy, I would love to have you adopted today. I'd love to tell you about him. I'll be up here after. If you want to pray, if you want to talk, Otherwise, happy Father's Day. Bible study is going to start in 10 minutes.